another episode of the Cultivate and Keep podcast. I'm Corey, here with Jeremy, and we also have a special guest on today, which you've already seen the title, but I will keep it a secret here for now. Um, just a really quick reminder that we've built out our cultivateandkeep.com slash favorites page with all of our favorite books, websites, podcasts, uh, resources for you. So go ahead and check it out there. You can find it in the notes. Um, we have many more guests uh, upcoming in the podcast series that we're doing, just looping in more people. If you have any suggestions or comments or questions for us, uh, please let us know and you can find us. Um, you can email us at cultivateandkeep.com um, or find us on social media. I think that's it. Well, if also want to say, if you guys have contact with Tim Tebow, that's let, right. Let us know because we want him. LT, if you're listening, LT, you too. What's what you waiting for, dude? <laughs> let's get it. Let's get it going. Um, but tonight we have the one and only Nathan Cornett. Nathan, welcome. Welcome, Nate. Thank you very much. I'm uh, excited and nervous to be here. Nervous? nervous? Wow. Well, I mean, this is like podcast. This is big like, time, huh? This is a big yeah. deal. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's true. And everything that you say is permanently recorded forever. That is true, true. actually. So, so be careful because <laughs> we don't edit. So We don't edit. And we plan on having this podcast up for years and yeah. decades and centuries. So I <laughs> so have to be very, very cautious. Be very, very yeah, cautious. Tread lightly, my friend. Yeah. Especially so when you're sitting here with your brother-in-law. Exactly. Get you in trouble. Yes. <laughs> so uh, dynamic. Nathan, Nathan is my brother-in-law. He uh, married my sister, Joanna, my oldest sister. And wisest. And wisest. And most beautiful. Ooh, careful, because I think my sister, Jenny. Already was shots fired. Be <laughs> careful, <laughs> Nathan. You've got a long ways to go, Normally, I fire the shots, so. Well, she's my wife, so, you know. That's, that's true. true. That's I'm true. pretty impressed with her, personally. Yeah. Good, cool. Good well, Nathan, welcome. Excited to have you. Like I said, he's my brother-in-law. And um, kind of like the uh, <clears throat> previous formats we followed, we want to ask him a few questions kind of about his life, um, how he came to know the Lord, and kind of what he's up to now. So why don't you start with telling us about your family, tell us how you grew up. Um, yeah, tell us about that. What was Nathan the kid like? The kid. Was he weird? Was when he, he cool? When he had hair. Yeah, Nathan with hair. Well, I was significantly more obnoxious than I am now, if you can wow. believe that. <laughs> what? Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Corey's like... <laughs> Already That's hard just to believe. astonished, mind blown. Uh, I grew up uh, in a great home, uh, good mom and dad. Um, have a brother and a sister. Um, we were raised in a Christian home. Um, we went to church together most Sundays. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it was pretty basic upbringing, right? Pretty typical America. Um, my parents are still married, still love each other, um, which is a borderline miracle in our culture. But um, I really am grateful for for their influence in my life. And, uh, you know, the truth is without, um, you know, my mom's influence in my life, I probably wouldn't be walking with Jesus. And so I'm really thankful for my mom's prayers and for her encouragement over the years. Um, I really believe that it's because of her that I I'm following Jesus now uh, in large part. I and mean, there's a lot of factors which we can get into it uh, as we go on. But um yeah, so that's me as a kid. Red, red hair, curly hair. If you see my daughter, she's got huge red curly hair. That's pretty much how my hair looked when I was uh, her age, and then I lost it all. So <laughs> now <laughs> I have no hair, and people are like, "Where does she get the red hair from?" <laughs> like from me, well, and you. I mean, you, you, you on both sides of the family. Yeah. But I guess yeah. they say, "Where does she get the curls from?" And I say, "That came from me." And they look at my head and go, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to have curls. And you grew up here in East County, San Diego. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah raised race. raised in La Mesa. I was actually born in St. Louis, Missouri, oh. but moved here to San Diego when I was two. Okay. And so, thank you, Dad, for doing that for us. And uh, I am, uh, yeah, raised in La Mesa and El Cajon area, and um, been here my whole life. Okay. And so, growing up, um, you mentioned kind of briefly in passing that uh, you're, you attribute a lot of sort of your walk with God and your faith today to your mom. So what was kind of like the turning point? And, um, I mean, did you experience any sort of, uh, I don't know, like life changing moment or was it just kind of over time? Like tell us about how you sort of came to the Lord and, um, and gave your life to him. Um, well, it's funny cause you know, when, when you get older, you start wondering how many thoughts were your thoughts versus how many were pictures that your parents showed you and you think you remember, but mm-hmm. I have pretty clear memories of accepting Christ uh, outside of a uh, Baptist church in Lemon Grove. Uh, we went to a church, I think it's called Lemon Grove Baptist Church, and I have pretty clear memories of accepting Christ right after, I guess it was probably a Sunday morning service, um, just saying, I want to follow Jesus. And, um, and you so were how old? Th- I think three or four. Oh, okay, well. Yeah, so I, 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 that's my memory of how <laughs> it went down. Yeah. Um, so very young, right, very young age. And um, in fact... Someone, a a friend of our family's uh, woman named Donna McCoy, just commented on Facebook when I was on vacation saying, hey, I just sent you something, um, you know, to your, well, to your office. Uh, And it was really cool because I got it. And it was a letter that I had written when I was seven years old. I wanted to get baptized. We were going to Elkhorn Vineyard at the time. And um, they said, if you want to get baptized, you have to write a letter saying why you want to get baptized. Hmm. And so I did. And I, I remember writing this letter, dude. And I remember it being like <laughs> this deep theological <laughs> like explanation, this exegesis of my faith. Do you have like a one day this is going to be in the Bible and people are going to be talking about it for centuries. And yeah, like that kind of a thing. Right. Seven year old mind. And I just remember it being like my manifesto <laughs> for why I needed to be baptized. And um they like accepted it and said, okay, you can get baptized. I was so stoked. I even remember the night of the baptism. It was at La Jolla Shores. The tide came up so high, it came all the way up to the concrete wall. Mm-hmm. We had to like move all of our stuff. And I, I remember it so vividly getting baptized. And uh, seven years old, right? I have real clear, clear memories of that. And she just mailed me that letter. And it's no like, way. I want to be baptized. I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow, creative. <laughs> I, I misspelled my name in a H T A N, which I was Doesn't like, count. "What?" Um, funny. So my five-year-old daughter knows how to spell her name correctly, and but I couldn't pull that off. <laughs> so she's smarter than me, thank goodness. Got that from Joanna. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can make jokes, but this is permanent, so we're gonna. It's a bummer she got your looks, though. <laughs> I know. It's a bummer. <laughs> Bang. Hey, you, there's babe. a shot fired. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I didn't want to say that. I was like, oh, my poor little girl looks exactly like me. But at least she's smart like her mom, so that's yeah. good. No. She's got that going for her. <laughs> so, that, I mean, yeah, that's uh, how I came to know Jesus. And, and um, you know, that, that whole process was, it was really good. It was kind of real natural. My whole life has been wrapped up in following God. And that's the truth. Did you ever have a point of, like, falling away and we've talked a little bit about you kind of like finding your way. So tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. I think there's a, um, well, there's been several times where I feel like I have walked away from God. Um, it's interesting cause I was thinking about this a lot recently. Um, and I don't really know why, but I don't think that it was until I came to foothills, my church 
and I, there's like a whole backstory that I'm not going to get into, but basically I had a conversation with Mark Hoffman, which for me was mind blowing that I would sit down with a senior pastor. Cause that was like, just didn't happen at the church I was at or my like, and how experience. old were you? I guess I was probably about 21, somewhere right in there. And, um, 20, 21, somewhere right in there. And I mean, he really fathered me. I mean, and I don't know how to explain it other than to say there's, he is a spiritual father to me and there's, he has taken a role of being a, a spiritual father that I, I greatly appreciate and respect. And I don't think I was, I believe I had a very real faith in God before that point, but I don't think I had ever been a disciple of Jesus until that point. Hmm. And that's, that's kind of a funny thing, but I'll give you an example. I'm 18 years old and I'm an intern in a church <laughs> and I'm going to TJ on Friday night and getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I'm at church yeah. Sunday morning leading worship. Mm. Like, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Like, yeah. that's just like totally fine. And, and in hindsight, you, I, you really didn't think anything, anything was wrong. That no, <laughs> didn't even, didn't even cross my mind as being a problem. And I think, uh, that's when I, that's why I say that I, I don't know that I was actually a disciple of Jesus. Mm. Um, did I have a saving knowledge of who Christ was? And do I believe that Jesus love me and I, I knew that stuff absolutely there's no question if I had died when I was 18 I believe I would have gone to heaven but actually following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus uh, I don't think really started until I started going to Foothills and that that's I mean I think that's kind of hard for me to come to grips with because I was raised in a Christian home right I was been a Christian not my whole life because you have to accept Christ but I was raised in this environment mm. uh, but it wasn't until uh, you know Mark sat me down and and really laid out what it means to follow Jesus and then through a process of serving and being mentored and serving and being mentored and kind of trial and error uh, I was really raised on how to follow Christ Uh, and I think that 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 was a turning point I think for me in -hmm. terms of I'm a disciple of Jesus and I've had plenty of times where I've messed up I've failed I've but I but I always knew this is part of being a disciple and repent turn do something different um, was I don't think I really got that until uh, I was fathered right in the yeah. faith and a lot of that I attribute to Mark Hoffman but there's there was others other men as well Don Bastrom was a huge imp, 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 had a huge impact on my life uh, in terms of teaching me how to be a disciple of Jesus did you know that that was happening like as it was happening where you know Mark is uh, takes a new role in your life and you're sort of at a new church and now you're doing new things was it like, okay, this is just like now what I do now. And then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, like I really learned a lot and grew a lot. Or was it as it was happening, you're like, this is very different. Or like something is changing. Something is, you know, going on inside of me. God's working on me. I think on a relational level, I knew it was different. But from like in hindsight, I don't think I realized what was happening. I, I realized, holy smokes, there's this senior pastor of a pretty good sized church. And it's only gotten bigger since then. But it was big for me is willing to sit down and have breakfast with me and go through the scripture with me. That was mind blowingly different. So on a relational level and how I interact with my pastors and the role that I believe that there's, they should have in my life. Yeah, that was, I knew that was different, but that I know I was being, you're being discipled now. And it wasn't really like that. It was, it was a much more organic kind of a, kind of a thing. Was that you uh, pursuing Mark or did he reach out to you? He reached out to me. Um, he, and it was kind of when I came to Foothills, John Hoffman had spent a good deal of time with me on the phone. 
uh, I was entering at this church, interning at this church. There was a youth ministry thing that was a struggle. And I didn't know what I was doing. And George Runyon had actually said, you got to call John Hoffman and talk to him. And John spent, I remember John spending, it felt like hours, right? I'm probably exaggerating. It was probably like 30 <laughs> minutes. But it felt like he just dumped an, a wealth of knowledge on me and, and so much help. And so my dad had actually made a decision. He said, I want to go to Foothills. Um, we're going to go to Foothills. And I, and I said, I want to go with you. And it, largely because of my experience with John. And I marched right into John's office, probably the first month I was at Foothills, and said, I want to work for you. And uh, he kind of laughed. <laughs> he doesn't remember any of this, by the way. <laughs> you can ask him about it, he doesn't remember any of this. And John Hoffman's a pastor, senior pastor at the Grove Church in Mission Valley, which my wife and I were involved with for a while. And um, he, he, uh, he said, that's not how things work here. We don't just hire people. You have to get involved. We have to know who you are. So get involved. Let's, let's take a look. And I think after that point, my name had kind of gotten brought up, right, in staff meeting or whatever, and... and Mark had, re- and I was involved in college ministry, super involved in college ministry, and Mark had reached out to me. He, Mark was pastoring college ministry at the time, and he, um, mm. I think that's how, so he started pursuing me, but it definitely became a two-way street pretty quick, because I realized I want more of whatever he's got. Whatever that is, I want more of that. Yeah. Okay, so now take us through, like, um, your college years, yeah. you know, now you're sort of transitioning into foothills, and now your spiritual life was kind of being taken to another level and uh, you're also sort of working for the church and going to college, I'm assuming, at the same time as well? Yeah. Um, when I came to Foothills, I also, right around the same time, began going to Christian Heritage College, which is now San Diego Christian College. And I was yeah. going for a degree in biblical studies with an emphasis in youth ministry. I had always thought that I was called to be a pastor, right? I just I just had that, that feeling or that, I don't know, that calling. When you say always... Since Mark started pastoring, since, since you were I was kids, young, since, no, you were, since I was young, huh. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I've been mean, since Vineyard days, right? I mean, a long time ago, and um, so that also changed. And I was surrounded by other Christians in a biblical studies department who were, who were seeking the Lord, and we were together searching out Scripture. And it was more than just a class; it was more than just trying to get a good grade. It was also what is this actually? How does this actually work for us? Is this is this real or what? At least at least the group of people I was hanging out with were. Um, I was hanging out with a group of people that loved to worship. There's a guy named Heath Hollinsby, uh, Dominic Nuncio, a couple other guys. They're still involved in worship. They're still leading worship all over the place. And these guys were we, we were having worship sessions till three o'clock in the morning up in the chapel. I mean, it was like that's the kind of people I was hanging out with. Hmm. And um, so, uh, and that was a big that was a huge influence in my life. Um, so. That had also changed for me uh, in college. So I, I, when I worked, when I came to Foothills, before I ever worked for Foothills, I worked at Valley Athletic Club with Kevin Miller. He actually <laughs> got me a job there. And I told Kevin, I said, I just want a job so I can be an intern at Foothills. And he said, all right, no problem. So I started there and I did that, volunteered. I probably did three shifts at Youth Venture, two higher ground clubs, was going to school full time, 12 to 16 units at a time, uh, and working. Um I can't remember if I was living on my own or if I was living back with my parents at that time. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but um, that doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, that was college years. All of college years was school, ministry, school, ministry, school, ministry. And and when I started working at Foothills, uh, Mark actually approached me and said, hey, I've got a position for you. I want you to run one of our youth venture teen centers. And I said, Mark, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I, I mm-hmm. like I, I'm okay with doing the shifts, but I don't particularly like these kids. I want to work with church kids. And Mark just said, That's the job I got for you. And I said, Okay, I'll take it. I want that. And really what I wanted was I wanted to be influenced by John and Mark. That's what I really wanted. Yeah. So 
um, I started doing that and going to school still. Um, and that it, it probably took a solid year at youth venture before I caught a vision for it. In fact, Mark had to sit me down one point and, uh, and just, I mean, I don't remember the exact context of the whole thing. I don't know that he would even remember this, but I remember exactly where we were sitting in that, in that teen center on the couches. And he said, Nathan, you're insubordinate. Do you know what it means to be insubordinate? It's bad. <laughs> That's like Good. a bad thing to be. It was like, you're in like, you're opposing, right? Like, yes. Yeah. It's more than just like you're holding it back. Being difficult. It's like literally, I'm in opposition yeah, to yeah. what the leaders want to do. Wow. And that that you being insubordinate in any business is a fireable offense. And I, I think at that point, I was he was like, you got to decide if you're going to follow the vision that we have, and if you're going to work. And well, um, what were you doing um, that made him say that? I, I don't even remember. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I know that I was probably not showing up to shifts like I should. I probably wasn't treating it like I should because I didn't care. Honestly, that's the truth. I didn't love youth venture. Hmm. Um, well, at that point, it was time for some soul searching. And the you know what's interesting? The times when I need to get a vision for something, I've learned this from that youth venture time. I went and I scrubbed the toilets every night after it was closed. And I was, you know, single and didn't. I need, I could do this. I was literally scrubbing toilets, cleaning baseboards and trying to clean that place up and keep it nice. And I would do that till eight o'clock at night. Well, I mean, it was closed to eight or nine. So I'd do that till 10 or 11 at night. And that is when I got a heart for that place is praying on that baseboard in the bathroom where some kid had just peed himself all over the floor. Whatever these, I don't know what these kids do. They just, <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Who knows? Yeah. It's like pee on the ceiling. I'm like, I don't know how that even happens. Hey, but take it easy. Okay. It. Yeah. That was probably jail. <laughs> yeah, probably. So, I mean, I, but that's where I got a, a real, I mean, God gave me a heart for those kids as I got on my hands and knees and actually literally scrubbed the floor. And I'm not saying that everyone has to do that, but for me, that was like a game changer. It was hmm. Mark called me out on a spiritual condition of my heart. And I began to seek the Lord through, through cleaning, physically cleaning and saying, God, what do you, you know, what do you want from me? What are you doing? And, and the Lord is showing me the treasure that's in each one of these kids at this teen center that I had never seen before in my whole life. Mm. And from that point, so that, I mean, still in college, right? And at that point, that's when I really realized that, that um, <laughs> there's something valuable in these kids that nobody sees value in. Their parents don't see value in the church struggles with because they use they got ba- they use bad words. They some of them are using drugs. Some of them are, are just they're cr- mean, cruel little creatures that come into this teen center and just make you feel terrible. And you're sitting here volunteering your time for this little scumbag. Right. And God's going, that's mine. Mm. That's my son. That's my daughter. And I think that's when I got a real heart for teenagers who are far from Christ. And, and usually it at no fault of their own, their parents gave up on God a long time ago. Yeah. And, and so they, they don't, it's not like their fault. I mean, it is their fault. It's their responsibility, but it's, they didn't know better. And, and we're sitting there going, Hey, let's play a game of pool. Let me show you a better way. Let me show you, let me show you a direction that you've never seen before. You haven't been invited into before. So that's where I got a heart for the lost was at through that time in in youth venture. I always, I want to see Christian men, and women, but I, I mean, obviously I'm a guy, so I want to see Christian men really discipled in the faith and really grow up in the faith. Uh, that's a, a, for sure, I want that. I also want to see these people who don't know Jesus, who are dirty, they're rough around the edges. The church certainly doesn't doesn't feel like, and, and I don't think this is true of our church, my church in particular, 
but it's all of our churches, right? We all go to the same church? Yeah. Okay. Well, real fast, I want to jump in or have you explain um, for those that don't know, like what is Youth Venture? Like what, what, um, how that start? And like, what is that through Foothills? Yeah. Youth Venture is an incredible place that is sponsored by our church. And I, I believe we have four locations. I could be wrong. We might be sponsoring five, but it is fully funded and staffed by volunteers from our church. So um, it is a building that gets rented in a strip mall or in some cases we have freestanding buildings and we fill it full of video games, pool tables, anything the kids would like, right? Anything you'd go to an arcade and pay for, um, they have there. And it's staffed by Christian men and women who are just there to be available, right? They're just available adults. It's a safe place. There's rules. There's guidelines. You can't fight. You can't use drugs there. You're not allowed to make out with girls in the, in the corner. Uh, you know, there's, you're just not allowed to do that kind of stuff there. It's a, there's some rules and some guidelines. It's a safe place for teenagers to go after school. Uh, generally open from 2.30 to 9 p.m. at night. Um, and those hours may be changed. I don't, I don't entirely know. But, uh, and then we invite kids to do these lessons, right? And they're Bible-based character lessons. And so it's basically, here's the first three lessons. Um, you're not an accident. You were created with a purpose, and your purpose is to know Jesus, right? That's, that's the yeah. purpose of Youth Venture Teen Centers. And um, as these students are going through these, they're starting to realize, oh my gosh, you know, my whole life I believe that we just evolved from monkeys. All this is just one big cosmic mistake, including myself. Um, and in many of the, many cases, not in every case, but in many cases, uh, these kids don't know who their dad is, or their dad walked out on them, or their moms had a couple of different guys, and they got a couple brothers and sisters from a couple of different dudes. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty commonplace. Uh, and these, these lessons are saying... You're not an accident. God designed you. He knew you before you were ever born, and he's called you to be to walk with him as his son or his daughter, yeah. uh, which is life-changing for some of these kids, absolutely life-changing. And then there's a bunch more lessons that kind of go through character and what it means to follow God, what it means to be a Christian, um, what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. Uh, so I, I'm a huge fan of Youth Venture Teen Center. Uh, they don't get any government money. Right. This is this is not a this is not just a parachurch thing. This is the local church making an impact in a local community. And I I am fired up about that. I think that's what churches are designed to do. Yeah. Not every church can handle sponsoring a youth venture, but every church is responsible to make a local impact right around them, directly around them. That is their job to be a a lighthouse in the community. Yeah. Yeah. There's something cool you said about um, like just the kids themselves and serving them. And I think it's easy to kind of cherry pick the ministries that you do or the way that you serve and sort of like the easy or like the Instagrammable kind of ministries of going downtown and, you know, handing out food or you're just talking to, um, you know, the, the girls with the young babies and, um, I don't know, just other ways maybe that are like easier. But when you have like little bratty kids who are like, in opposition to you they're cussing they're swearing they're saying no they're like trashing the place or they're like fighting other kids that is a hard person to love and i think that's like uh it's not like the ultimate test you know but it's a fantastic test of faith to choose to love someone that is like the hardest person to love um and it really like forces kind of the spiritual muscle um that we need to just like Jesus does to, to love unconditionally. Yeah. I was going to say that, that they're not hard to love for Jesus. 
Right, right. right? The hard to love from my perspective, from where I was raised, I was raised to respect the church, to love the church, love the people of God. That's how I was raised. So from my perspective, yeah, that little crazy person is hard to love. But when you get Jesus' heart, they're not hard to love. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he loves them so much more than I ever could. I actually think that's a great test for Christians everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I, can, I I don't know how much to say, but I, I mean, I feel like if you, you say, oh, that's just not my, it's not my thing. Yeah. It's like, whoa, imagine if Jesus said that to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just not my thing. <laughs> I mean, that's that might be someone else's thing, but that's just not my, you're not my thing. And it's like, that is not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is to love people unconditionally, regardless of what they do to you. That's the turn the other cheek thing. Now, that doesn't mean you have to trust them. That's why there's rules, right? If you come and you steal from my cash box at the Youth Venture Teen Center, there are rules. Don't trust them. That have consequences that put up barriers, right? And until you can overcome that or deal with that, deal with the consequences of that, you're, 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 but, but my love for you doesn't change. My desire for you to be healthy, whole, and complete doesn't change. Uh, and I think that that's, um, that could be true of any, I mean, pick a vertical. Is it homelessness? You see that dirty guy in the street and you really struggle with that guy? Maybe some people love the homeless. They just want to give him a big hug and, and it, but for me to say, oh, it's just not my thing. I just don't love, mm-hmm. I can't do that. I can do this. I couldn't adopt a kid, you know, but I'll go to Africa for a week. I'm okay with that. But I, man, I couldn't, I couldn't actually bring that kid into my house. I mean, well, it's like. You have to ask yourself, and we're not talking about seasons. We're talking about heart positioning. We're talking about your your love for that person, right? I mean, you might be, in, Jeremy, you're not in a season to adopt, probably. I mean, most likely. You could be. That's not up to me to decide, I guess. Adopt but, a dog. But, I mean, I, it, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even assumed that. That's not my place. You, may, you know your own seasons. But a person might look at their life and say, I'm not in a season to do that, to commit to this. Mm-hmm. But man, oh man, that is a, that God loves that person. And God has got something for them. And man, I want to help. If I have a way, I want to make a way for that person mm-hmm. to make it easier for them to come to know Christ. Well, I want to say, I think it, it's cool. Like, So we grew up in Foothills, so this is like normal to us, youth venture. But um, like stepping back to thinking like our senior pastor started this ministry, it's cool to think about because I feel like if I was thinking of like a newer or not a newer church, but like a seasoned church, I would think of like some form of like youth pastor, or like younger member wanting to like catch a vision for this and to start it. But our like head pastor took the time to do this. You know, and we think about like Shane Blayfield, um, like Brianna Polk, like people that um, came from Youth Venture that are now like prominent, like head, like for example, Shane's like our head, like worship leader from our church. And he came, he was one of those kids that, one of um, the punks. Yeah, one of the punks that like no <laughs> one wanted to love. No one, um, he was hard to love, right? And now he's leading worship for our for our church, which is really cool. So, as we're talking about, it, I'm like thinking about that, and absolutely, um, I think the fact that it came from our head pastor is like it's astonishing. It's like a crazy thought to think about. Well, that's the story of Paul, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Saul was the punk. I mean, he was like a well accomplished punk. Mm-hmm. He was the Pharisee, right? He's the big man. But he was killing Christians. Imagine being a Christian and God's saying, you've got to love this guy. You are called to love this guy. And you're thinking, whoa, I don't know. That's kind of a high calling, Jesus. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm ready for that. But you didn't. He, they didn't know that God had a calling for him and that God was going to knock him off of his donkey, right, and, and remove the scales from his eyes. And then he would see Christ and he would be the guy that wrote most of the New Testament mm-hmm. and it was a massive impact absolutely massive mind blown we are here today most likely because of jesus's work in paul 
and and that is mind-blowing mm-hmm. when you think about who he was yeah. and you could say the same about shane or anybody that that's that's what jesus does is he takes something that is not useful to the kingdom of god on one end he does this transformation thing and then all of a sudden there's usefulness and and god just does his thing it's just it's in the business of redemption he he redeems trash to make it valuable yeah so um Okay, so that was like what early mid twenties. Like, take us through kind of the next steps of your life. Like, so that was youth venture, kind of taking its root, and then um, I want to hear about like um, a few things, which might be not fun talk to talk about, but I want to know kind of about um, like your career. So you went from youth venture, you started working for Ashford, um, and then there was a lot of debt that you accrued, and then eventually being married. So kind Spoiler of walk alert. us through that. <laughs> um, I want I want to hear about that, kind of from your perspective. No. <laughs> no. All right. Well, I can talk just about kidding. it. First. I can talk about it from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, tell us, Jeremy. <laughs> Mary and my sister. No, I'm, just kidding. Yeah, I'm curious about your perspective, actually. Um, just kidding. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll spare you. Um, I've actually, you know what? I have to stop and say, I have appreciated your perspective in listening to your podcast. Thanks. That is the truth. I appreciate I, that. I, what about mine? I feel like, um, <laughs> well, you know. yeah. no, I mean, I, I feel like you learn. I mean, we don't talk as much as we used to, right? We're all busy, and, and I've listened to your podcast recently, and I, I really, uh, I'm surprised, actually, at how much I appreciate your perspective. So thank you. Thank you for being willing to do this, because this is, you're putting yourself out there and trying something, and I've, I really appreciate it. Um, okay, careers. This has been interesting, because I don't know, <clears throat> this might be a longer than we want to talk about, maybe not. You know, I told you I, I always felt like I wanted to be a pastor. Right. And so I'm doing the youth venture thing. Well, in the process of doing the youth venture thing, I'm also accumulating a significant amount of debt. My first credit was at San Diego Christian or Christian Heritage College. That's the first time I ever had any debt was when I took out student loans. And I don't know if my dad advised me against it or not. I can't remember that conversation. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and say my dad probably said, don't do it, son. That's not going to be smart. And I said, whatever, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. And I just did it anyways. <laughs> That's probably how it actually went. Um, but I don't remember getting advised that taking out the kind of debt that I did was probably not a good idea. I took the maximum amount out. So I went to school there for two and a half years. I accumulated roughly $60,000 in debt. Uh, 60000 in two and a half years. It's a lot of, it's a lot of green, bro. <sighs> yeah. To get a biblical studies degree. Don't generally recommend that. <laughs> Um, what, so I don't know if you know the, this, the second half of your college. Yeah. So okay. I went to Grossmont college for yeah, two okay. and a half years and then I went to San Diego Christian for two and a half years. So I don't know if you know this, but pastors don't get paid a lot. Well, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I was stupid. Um, I bought laptops and trips to yeah, foreign what countries. What were you and thinking? I was thinking, man, sweet man, they're going to pay me to go to school. This is great. <laughs> I'll pay it back eventually. Well, um, I, during that time I had also, uh, taken out a credit card and a couple of other things. And I probably uh, accumulated, this is a rough, I, I have the official numbers. I have literally written it all out somewhere because I've done a talk on finances and what God can do. But um, I literally had somewhere in the neighborhood of $70,000 in debt by the time I graduated from college, maybe a little bit after that. And um, that was tough working at Youth Venture. I think I was getting paid $23,000 a year as an intern. Maybe it was less than that, but uh, it was not very much money. And when you have $70,000 in debt, that is not a, that math doesn't work out well. So I had to quit 
and I felt very defeated. Um, I went and worked at Ashford, and uh, that was a good experience for me. Honestly, it it was a eight or nine to six job uh, that I did for four and a half years, and I learned a lot about corp, uh, corporate culture. Learned a lot about a work ethic. I learned a lot about rules and showing up on time and uh, kind of a box that you don't necessarily get when you work for uh, a church or as an intern. Um, there wasn't that structure. And so to have that structure was actually very helpful. Um, and I paid off all of my credit card debt during that time. I think, it was, and a car, I, by the way, I got a car out. So by the time I was all fully maxed out, it was like 85 grand plus or minus. So by the time I had gotten married, I had paid off all my credit card debt and most of my car. We and, know that story. Yeah, I've told you that story before. It's a depressing part of my life. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a character building time, right? I was really, and it's, I, I don't want to say that it's, it's all worked out. I mean, it's always there's this constant struggle of working out character, and we, you know, maybe the things I, I failed at then I wouldn't fail at now, but we always have failings that we have to struggle through, and repent and deal with. And that is a normal part of life. That is normal. So anyways, I'll just tell everyone the story because why not? Uh, I lied to my wife and I told her that I owed X amount on a car. I was truthful about every other penny, but the car, I, I held back that I owed like another, I don't remember what it was, $5,000 or something like that. Why I did that, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, what were you thinking? Because she was going to find out at some point. <sighs> Jeremy, what was I This thinking? is for our <laughs> listeners, okay? Well, I honestly don't know. Because I told her, I think I was ashamed. I mean, there was there was shame, and I think I felt like if I held something back, that I was preserving some of that dignity, right, that I didn't have in telling her how much debt I had. And your sister is like the financial genius of the my world, right? I mean, she knows how to handle money, and she had zero debt. She had bought a house before we got married. I mean, she was like on top of her game, and I was not. I was the exact opposite. Um, and so, so you were married when she found out or, oh yeah. So we got married. Well, she said, listen, I love you in spite of your debt. Good job paying off all your credit cards. Good job, you know, paying off most of your car. We still got this massive student loan thing, but I love you anyways. Let's get married and I'll, we'll, we'll deal with that mar- as a married couple. Praise God for grace, man. I'll just tell you that much right now. And, um, so after we got married, we combined finances. She had more than I did and we wrote a check to pay off my car quote unquote. Mm. And uh, what I had done was I paid ahead. So I didn't, I didn't, I mean, every bill that would come every single month just said, you don't owe anything. You still have this balance of X amount, but you don't owe anything because you paid ahead. And every month I was like, oh, oh throw that away. Uh Oh, throw that away. Uh Oh, throw that away. And so one day, uh, and you know, this is the thing about sin. Um, if you're following Jesus, it kind of grates at you. It like eats at you or you, you feel unrest I don't know how to describe it and so one day I, yeah. I I went to John Hoffman we were going to the Grove and we had gone to the Grove together before we got married we went to help plant the Grove and I went to John and said pastor uh, this is what I did and John said okay let's pray let's work out a plan and you need to tell your wife and so I went home and I think a day or two went by and I sat her down and I told her and I am like crying right I'm like emotional because I had lied to my wife i mean this is like you know i mean you just know you don't do that right and uh and i didn't know what how she's gonna respond you know joanna she can be uh on some things she can be very 
matter of fact and to the point and a little bit abrasive. Um, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just her personality yeah. type. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to dealing with sin and brokenness and pain, she's the exact opposite. She is the exact opposite. And she just said, okay, thanks for telling me the truth. Let's deal with this. And um, we paid it off. And there's been, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it was all easy. It was like, I forgive you. Let's fix this. And it's literally years of working back and building trust again. Years of it. So um, that was a very painful. Thanks for bringing that up. Appreciate it. Gotcha, bro. <laughs> love, love talking about that story. But um, so that was a good character building experience, right? During that time. So I also was able to get my master's degree at Ashford, and which was incredible. And then as soon as I got my master's degree, I quit, and we uh, moved to uh, South America for or Central America for six months. We went to Cuba for a month. We went to Costa Rica for three weeks-ish, three and a half weeks. And we went to Guatemala for about four and a half months. And uh, that was a just a fantastic trip. I mean, God really ministered to us. It was really, really great. And um, we stayed in Carlos Merlot's house. You know, shout out to Carlos Merlot. Uh, he is a world-famous soccer player in, uh, uh, in uh, Guatemala. So I'm thankful for him because we stayed in his house. But... Um, then we came back, and, and we had been talking to our church. Our church, church really sent us to do this, which is really cool. And when I came back, um, John offered me a position as a part-time youth pastor. Uh, during that time, I also took on a, uh, an online job working for um, uh, basically a youth, oh, yeah. a youth pastor mentoring program, which was really fun. That was a good experience for me. Huh. And we did a thing where we encouraged youth pastors to come get free mentoring, resources, um, help for their youth ministries. I enjoyed that. And then I came, went full-time at the Grove um, and was at the Grove for about four years, four and a half years, four years, somewhere in there. Um, it was basically four-year cycles for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's kind of what I've realized. Um, and then um, after it w- we had built the church, and one day at, at the Grove, I just really realized uh, our season here is done. And I don't know how else to describe it, but our season was done. So we, there, and there was an opportunity to work at Le Bon's, which was interesting. Which, what, explain that, because people that, that don't know. Okay, so you're right. Uh, forgive me. Um, Lebon's Landscaping, family-owned company of the Lebon family. Mike and Julie Lebon started the company in 1984-ish. And uh, Joanna is actually the CEO of the company. Um, and there was an opportunity to come in as an operations manager, which I thought, I got this. This is going to be easy. Um, turns out it's not easy. No, 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 no. Turns out I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. Um, we also lost uh, the biggest client that of you know for our company's history during that time. Re- restructured. I joined as an account manager. Uh, went through about two years of literal hell. I mean, it was like I the was hardest. with you, bro. You were right there. It was <laughs> yeah. it was one of the hardest times of my entire life. Um, and uh, but I feel like I learned an awful lot real quick. Well, so hold on. So more like context. So you came in as the operations manager and then an account manager, um, but working essentially like for your wife, right? So your Correct. father-in-law owned the company, owns the company, and your wife is the CEO. So Those are mm-hmm. tough dynamics. Yeah, like, I mean. And then while the company is struggling and you're learning a new role under your wife. So like, mm-hmm. talk about that. I want to know like, from your, from your perspective, like, what is it like as a man like to lead a home outside of work, but then at work, you are under your wife. I think like, you got it. <laughs> I want to make it very clear for those that don't know. Thank you for clarifying. Well, I'm thinking like the intricate details of my from pain. Like my perspective now, like being married, like 
I couldn't imagine like working for my wife at my father-in-law's company. So <laughs> I think I'm not trying to hound you, but I think like it takes a special kind of man to no, do that. Honestly, I, I, I truly am curious because like you said, those two years yeah. were really tough. And I mean, I, I think it, it also correlates pretty well to, um, you know, when you were at the year with youth venture and, you know, Mark said you're insubordinate and then you went down on your knees and started cleaning, you know, after hours and reset the vision. So, and we know that things turn around for the better and that things, you know, um, improve, but like, I'm just, you know, take us through the experience and, and how God taught you through all this. Yeah. So the <laughs> I'm laughing so hard <laughs> because, uh, it was, and, and it, and it is difficult. It's, it's, it, it, it's not like magically not difficult. Um, thing with family business is when it's going good, it's going real good. Everyone's real happy. And when it's going bad, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's, it can be very difficult. Um, and Joanna and I are not a separate our work and life type people. We just are not like that. Um, we stay up and talk about work until 10, 11 at night, almost every night. And that's, that's a pretty standard. We were like that at the Grove though, too. It's, we, we, we believe in a vision and we work really, really hard at that vision. And it doesn't matter what we're doing. It's this is what we are working on. And honestly, I married Joanna because I believe that we are better together than we are apart. And I, I, I mean, Joanna is an incredibly strong leader. So to answer your question, um, there was a role thing, right, that we, we had to learn that was really important. There was a leave and cleave issue. So if you're a newly married man uh, and your, your wife is um, going to her dad to fulfill some kind of emotional issue or emotional thing, that's unhealthy. It's actually not right. It's not correct. She should be going to her husband. And, and that is, is a very important part of this leave and cleave principle from the Bible. So we're talking to Christian men and saying this is what it's like to be a young Christian man. And there, there are very real roles that have to be understood um, and, uh, and lived out. And, it's, and I have a strong wife. And I mean, I know that a lot of people have got strong wives. I have a strong wife. And she is literally the boss of 120 plus people. And uh, I mean, she, she is very much in control of that, that world. And so for me to come in and work as her employee and your, your dad's employee, fa- my father-in-law's employee, uh, created very unique challenges. Um, and I think the most important one, because of the work ones, I have, and, and I've said this before, I have no problem with following her at work. She's an incredible leader. She knows what she's doing. And I, I appreciate her leadership and perspective. And I'm like, let's go. Let you tell me how to do this. Let's get it done. Let's do it. And I love that. Um, does that mean that she's allowed to come in and criticize my every move because she's my wife? No, she is still my wife at work, but I am. I also have to follow her lead at work. And when we get home, it switches. (laughs) Now she's got to follow my lead at home. Right. And that's, that's the biblical way. So it's not exactly politically correct these days, but that is the biblical model. And so she has to come home and say, okay, I'm going to submit to my husband, not just at home, but at work too. And there, so, but <laughs> with that being said, I have to lead my wife, right? And, and what does the Bible say? The Bible says to lead your wife um, 
excuse me, actually says to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, the the type of leadership that we're talking about is not, honey, we're doing this, and you're going to come here, and you're going to do this, and you got to do that. It's, I'm going to die to every single desire I have in my heart in order to serve and love you. And in return, you will follow the call that God has placed on my wife, and we're going to do this thing together. And you're going to support and love me in spite of my failures, right? That's, that's the exchange. And I'm oversimplifying. There's probably a lot more to it than that. But so that whole process was incredibly difficult and incredibly painful. And I can tell you that we had many, many uh, difficult conversations, some arguments, some fights. Uh, we still do. <laughs> Sometimes we have some, uh, some discussions that are, are not pleasant. But um, I think that for us, the biggest thing was learning roles. So I had personally had to learn a new skill. Right? I had to learn a whole new career, which, by the way, if you're a young man, yeah, it's not fun. I mean, if you've got like a trajectory, try your best to stay in that trajectory if you can. Um, with that being said, sometimes we have to change and it is what it is. But yeah, it's very, very hard. I do not like the idea of going into a whole new you know, genre of work that I would have to learn all over again. I just uh, you were like thirty three at the time. Cool. I don't know. Roughly. How old am I now? Thirty seven. Yeah. So probably right there. Three. Yeah, thirty three ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which, by the way, I've been at Lebon's Landscaping the longest that I've been at any job ever in my life. You made it past so, four years? Yeah, past four <laughs> breaking years. Breaking the cycle. So, yeah, I'm breaking the cycle, which, by the way, I did the master's program with a guy named Bob Shank with your dad. Uh, context for those who don't know, Mike Lebon. And um, it was an incredible process of growth and learning about myself and learning about skills. So the first two years of working at Lebon's were incredibly terrible. Um, but I also learned that I was not in a very good role for my personality type. So now I'm in. I'm the director of business development. It's been a much better last year and a half. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm loving what I do. I absolutely love what I do. The last two years, just been fun. So, tell us about. I mean, I don't want to say failure, but I mean, the first two years you were in a few roles that you, um, like you touched on, that weren't natural and were <laughs> difficult. So, tell us about. <laughs> hold on, Nathan's coughing. Sorry. Um, I want to know, like, how did you? like navigate like failing to an extent right at a new job under your wife like what was that like and how as like a man do you i don't know i don't want to use the word pride but like maintain like i guess dignity like and as you're going through like a rough time like for two years which is a long time um yeah i want to know about that i don't think that dignity is a right neither is pride in fact i think they're pretty big weaknesses so I think that I had to go through a process of, of realizing that I am not the man. Not the man, you said? Yeah, like as in the man. Yeah. Like I'm not like as awesome as I think I am, and I'm not as great as I think I am. And I, I need to learn about who I really am and walk in that with humility. So in terms of dignity, I mean, I, I think that, um, again, that goes back to the role issue, right? Realizing like I have to lead my wife through this i can't just go oh poor b i'm I'm in a terrible situation that's like not that's not manly if you want to be a man stop being a whiner i mean if there's (laughs) if you heard nothing else from today if you want to be a man stop being a whiner and i am i'm a whiner that's what i do i mean i look at things and i go oh man things could be so much better jeez why can't we do this oh man this is happening and that's just not being a man being a man is saying uh, I'm going to make the best out of this. Being a man is saying, how do I 
uh, improve this position. Being a man says, how do I impact the community or the, the environment that I find myself in, whether that's work, my family, wherever I'm at. It's not look at what you're doing to me. It's how am I going to affect change in this environment? Um, and that, that is what being a man is, is, mm-hmm. is being the thermostat, not the thermometer. So that was definitely a process. Um, and I think I had some wins during that time. And it wasn't all failure. It wasn't all difficult. Um, there were some really good times. There were some really good things that happened. Um, and there were some monumental difficulties that happened as well. Um, so. Yeah. No, and, and that's hard. Like, you know, props to you for <laughs> going through that now. Well, and one thing that I learned through that, kind of going uh, the, the whole idea of the grass is greener fallacy, right? We kind of mm-hmm. talked a little pre-show, but um, there's this idea that <laughs> I'll be happy when I get over there or ma'am, if I were to be in this, then I would be much better off or it'll be better when I'm married. I have this job. I finish this degree. I, whatever the situation is, there's this idea of it's going to be better over there. Um, and that is a fallacy. It's false. When you're standing up close to anything, you see the flaws. I'm sitting at this table right here, and I see this. Whoa, that's my right? table, Look bro. Hey, take it easy, dog. Right? Yeah, not with you. But if I was back, I didn't notice that until just this second. And why? Because I'm sitting this close to it. Yeah. I wouldn't have even noticed if I just walked past. But that is what the grass is greener fallacy is. It's, it's saying, gosh, man, it looks so much better over there. Look at all this stuff I got to deal with over here. I'm on this side of the fence, and this grass has got, look, there's a brown spot there, and I got weeds right there, and oh my gosh, I think that's a rat. I mean, it's just like, that's what we, and over there it looks super green. But if you were to walk over to that side and, and look down, you would see the same problems, uh, maybe different problems, but you would still find problems. That is true in any relationship that we have. When you are standing close, you see nothing but flaws. Hmm. And, and that's actually one of the cool things about marriage um, I, and this was a struggle early in our marriage when um, I'd be with Joanna at whatever function we were at, right, before we wor- worked together. And she would be happy and bubbly and friendly and nice. And I'd be like, cool, man, this is great. We get in the car and she's like, oh, God, I'm ready to be home. And I'm like, what just happened to you? Like, who is that? That's not like you were just so happy. And she's like, yeah, well, I am tired and I'm ready to be home. And you're like, don't what? talk to me. And-, and she'd probably be mad. In fact, she's going to hear this and go, why would you say that? But it, the truth is. She t- she, I actually learned something very valuable. She said, I'm only like this with you because you see the real me. And there is something so beautiful about seeing the reality of where we are. There's something so beautiful about being so intimate with something that we, we see the blemishes and the flaws and the hurts and the pains. And we embrace that. Don't run. Don't say, oh, gosh, I can't. This table is hideous, by the way. I mean, you should get a new new table, really. <laughs> but, I mean, instead of instead of running from the problems that we face, embrace yeah. it and figure out how to improve and how to how to multiply. And I think that's a that's been a, a really good life lesson working at Lebon's Landscaping mm-hmm. with my wife, uh, <laughs> you know, and my father in law, uh, which has been a, in some ways very, very difficult. But I could say, look at all the problems I see here. I can't deal with that. I got to go over here to where I think it's going to be better. Um, but the reality is when I get there, I'm going to find a lot of similarities in the problems. Yeah. So how do you balance that with, um, you know, not just like pointing out things and whining or just, you know, sort of not being content or happy with where you are and wanting things to be better or having ambition for something else, or even, you know, Jeremy and I talked a while back, a while back about, um, the dip and knowing when to quit 
and that there are times and places and seasons where it's okay to stop doing what you're doing and start doing something else or to, you know, to call it and to, you know, say, okay, well, like this thing isn't going to amount to what I think it is. And this is a cul-de-sac. I need to find the next path for me. So how do you balance, um, you know, essentially being where you are, if that's not the best place, that's not the most happy place with, you know, striving for better in the future and, um, and wanting better. Yeah. I would say don't quit cause it's hard. Quit because you don't see fruit. Quit because there's a calling to do something else and there's an opportunity. Um, but if you if you just quit because it's hard, I think that you have got no backbone. Yeah. You well, quit you quit because there's a better opportunity. That's that's okay. Yeah. I think it's okay to say this is not producing the fruit that I know that I I can accomplish or or whatever. That's one thing. And and then maybe it's man, I really got a burden. I'm I'm seeing great fruit here, but I got a burden in my heart for this, and I believe God's called me. And yeah. oh my goodness, look at this opportunity that just opened up. That that's a good reason to move. That's a good yeah. reason to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, but if you just quit because it's hard, I think that makes you. I don't. I mean, what politically correct word can I use for manhood when you just quit because it's hard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think um, like, bef- rather than quitting when it's hard, I quit um, like once you've overcome that like dip. But once you've overcome like, because there can be an opportunity and it can still be hard, and so. If you quit because you have a new opportunity, it's like, well, you left what was hard for the newer, like the, the greener side of things. So yeah. I think, and it's gonna be hard um, on that side too. Yeah, like for me, when I when I left Le Bon's, like I made it, like my goal was to quit once I overcame like what was hard. I wanted to leave on like a positive note, which that process like sucked and was hard. It wasn't fun, but that was like my goal. I don't think I did it perfectly, but that was like what I was aiming to do: leave once I've overcome overcame like the difficult side of things well in working with you my perspective is you left very well thank you and and i mean you did exactly what you needed to do and i think you left very well most people would not leave like you left in fact most people don't several others have left right and (laughs) they didn't leave anywhere near like you did so yeah i I agree with you i think you you leave uh well i mean If you're a famous and and very good basketball, football, baseball star, do you want to leave, you know, before you win the championship, mm-hmm. right? Do you want to leave sometime after that? Do you want to leave after you've had a six-season losing streak, right? You want to leave on the high, right? Yeah. Leave when you're doing well. And I think that's that's a great indicator. It doesn't always work that way, but I think it's a great indicator. But if you if you just leave because it's hard, I mean. It's one thing if if your boss forces you to leave because you're not performing or doing a good job. That's one thing. And that's a, that's another life lesson. It's a separate life lesson. Um, but if you just say this is just too hard, I give up. When your boss is sitting there going saying you can do this. Come on, let me show you. You can do this, you can do this, that we can do this. Right? Or if if you've got some thing you're starting up or some I mean this podcast for example, you don't just quit because whatever. I mean because it's difficult. You 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 do it out of a love for it, out of a desire for it to grow. And then you know, you just keep plugging away and it's going to be a grind. That's how life works. Yeah. Everything is a grind. That's And that's a partially a result of sin, right? When Adam and Eve fell, now it became hard to work the garden. Hmm. Yeah. Now the garden doesn't produce fruit like you want it to. In fact, it produces thorns, which actually hinder your work. It hurts you. I think it says that the ground will, the earth will work against you. So it's not yeah. even like it's going to be hard. It's like there are forces opposing. actively yeah, opposing yeah. you. And that and that is a result of sin. Yeah. And thank God for Jesus who has overcome the world, right? So he can actually make it make it go well for you. He can actually do his thing and, and make things go well. But I but I think that there's that idea of, hey man, it's just 
this is just too hard. I quit. And I, I think that's a good lesson to learn, especially as a young person, because if you're a young man listening to this podcast and you're thinking, what does it mean to be a young man? Um, learn this lesson now because I promise you marriage and kids will kill you if you don't learn this message. <laughs> they absolutely will kill you. You're, you're the, I mean, if you don't learn how to work through hard things now, marriage and children will kill you yeah. because, and you'll want to quit. You'll just, you'll be done. And that's what we see in our culture, right? That's why most marriages are ending in divorce because people don't know how to deal with hard things. So if you're a young man listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking, I want to be married, it'll just solve all my problems. Mm-hmm. It, it might, but only if you learn the lessons first. Otherwise, marriage magnifies it all and makes everything exponentially more complicated and difficult. And then you throw a kid on top of that and holy smokes, it's like, it's hard. Yeah. And, and so you have to learn how to overcome hard things. And then as you meet these new challenges, you'll be better prepared to overcome them. Much like David and Goliath, he said, I already defeated the lion. Imagine how hard that was. I've defeated the bear. Imagine how hard that was. And we saw Goliath. He said, I know I'm going to overcome him because of what God has done for me. And uh, so there's this process of overcoming that starts small and it gets bigger and bigger. And, and that's, if you want to be successful in life, that's a lesson to learn. Yeah. So you've been married for how long now? Nine years. Nine years. Come on. Okay. And you're, you're it feels like six months, baby. <laughs> and your daughter nice. is, is how old? Five. She's five. Okay. So that means you had about four-ish years. Of pure bliss. <laughs> and now you have a son as well. Yep. 19 Poss- months. Possibly more babies in the future. Possibly. Walk us through, you know, being married, having kids. Like what is, what have been the challenges, the, the lessons learned, um, learning, you know, how to be a father and parenting as well. Well, I could go through the challenges and I could enumerate them and make a very long list of challenges, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I want to I want to talk about the positives because um, I think that it's it's really, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty natural to romanticize things, but I think our culture makes it pretty clear that marriage is not a popular, easy thing. So I'm not going to talk about some of the challenges, and I've already talked about some of them in working yeah. with yeah. Joanna. But um, uh, the positives of being married, I love that I have someone to come home to. Even if we're going through something difficult or something hard, I absolutely love that I have somebody at my home uh, or I get to be the person that's at home she gets to come home to and we have each other. Yeah. And, you know, when push comes to shove, we're on the same team and we're going to fight for each other. And I, I cannot tell you how comforting that is and how incredibly powerful that is. Uh, and so I, I don't think that, I, I mean, I sometimes I think about I don't know if you've ever had these thoughts, but it's like, man, what if my wife died? And it's like, yeah, sometimes, oh, man, I, I start thinking about what life would look like if she wasn't there. And my wife will go on a business trip or she'll go with the girls somewhere or something. And, and, I, and I, I think about what if she didn't come home? What would life look like? And it, it makes me so incredibly sad, um, not because of what she does for me, which is enormous, a ton of stuff, but because of who she is in my life. Um, and I, I, it's very, very hard to imagine not having that team, right? We're together yeah. in this. So I love that stability that comes with marriage. Um, with kids, I'll tell you the, the lesson that um, came with my daughter. When she was born, uh, <laughs> I caught her, right? So she, out she came, and I yeah, caught her, and I cut the umbilical cord. And you caught like, her? Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, dude, I was right there. I was in the action, man. See, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not there yet, but I, I haven't really thought about actually 
catching my child. Oh, it's intense. Did you like have to choose to do that, or oh, yeah. was they, the doctor like, well, the hey, doc- get in here? Well, so my wife was yeah. like, I'm gonna do this thing all natural. I don't want an epidural. I'm gonna do it 100 percent natural. And so I think the doc may have like kind of known we were hippies or something. And so he was like, <laughs> Would you like to catch the baby? And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, I do. And um, actually, I think there were girls, lady, excuse me, women, both times. But um, anyways, whatever. The doctor said, Do you want to catch the baby? And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Oh my God. And so um, with Grace, there. Grace came, came so fast, which, by the way, the whole labor process is crazy. I mean, <laughs> what a woman's body does is Well, that's what I'm saying. Why, how would you want to catch the baby? I mean... It's my child. Okay, all right. I respect <laughs> it. No, honestly, I am... I don't know. I, I My mom's astonished. a nurse. My mom's a labor and delivery nurse, and so oh. I kind of grew up with all of that my entire life, so I don't think I'm as it's squeamish as some people, but yeah. I... Um, so... I got to catch her, and uh, in fact, I had to put on like the scrubs and everything. And the doc was like, "Okay, put on the scrubs." I put on the pants and the shirt and the hat, and then I was trying to put on the gloves. Like, "Okay, Dad, get over here!" And I was like, didn't have my gloves on. I was like, "Okay," (laughs) and I literally went over there with no No. gloves. And the baby was like coming out, like, and I caught that kid, and um, that baby was in my arms. I'm like looking at this baby, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I put the baby on Joanna. Which, by the way, is incredible. That uh, okay? I'm not going to tell you that story. Anyways, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> well, it it'll, it'll come soon. It has to do with nipples and things, so I'm just going to uh, okay. avoid yeah. that. Yeah, avoid. Okay. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. <laughs> so you may not want to get there. Yeah, we'll skip. But um, I but, meant like that time. The way God designed this this process is just absolutely incredible. And uh, they take the baby to go weigh the baby and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there staring at this baby. And I'm realizing I like got a sense of God's love for me. I, in a second, I, I realized I love this baby more than anything in the world. I would do anything for this child. And this little crying baby can't do one thing for me. And in a second, I realized the father heart of God. Yeah. I can't do anything for God. Nothing. Nothing I do is of any value at all. I'm that little crying baby on a table. And it's like, that is who I am to the Lord. And he's going, I love you like that. And I, I, anyways, that was a mind blowing experience for me of realizing the, the father heart of God. And I, I think about that often. Like when my kid would wake up at three o'clock in the morning, screaming and <laughs> freaking out or when they wet the bed or when they're whining. Hey, we weren't going to talk about the challenges, just the positives. <laughs> whatever the, whatever the difficulties might be. Um, you know, it's, it's really that is a massive positive. Um, and then just being with your son is just a, I mean, something special. I, I don't know how to describe it. Having a daughter is, uh, she's like in my heart, right? My son, I'm like, let's go do an adventure. Let's go do something <laughs> fun. Let's go. Yeah. Like, let's let's conquer the world together. And so I, I've had a lot of fun with him. We went, oh my gosh. Okay, I got to tell you a story. How much time do we have? Plenty. Uh, All the time What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is going to be such a long podcast. As is, long as people listen, I mean. This is going to be such a long podcast, no one is going to listen. They're going to be like, okay, true. 32 minutes, I'm done. Wait, we've been on, we've been on this thing <laughs> for like an hour. Our average is like an hour. So. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, we went on vacation, and we went to Atlantis in Bahamas, which, by the way, is a lot of fun. And we went to this water park. Well, there's this, well, Joanna goes, hey, well, let's go on the lazy river. And so we all go over to this lazy river, right? And there's these rafts, and like, I got a 19-month-old kid. So we tried to put on a 
life vest, but it was way too big. And so we put it on him anyways. And he's like kind of poking his head out. It's a lazy <laughs> river, right? I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. He knows how to hold his breath. He'll be Uh-oh. fine. Well, then I like look at the sign and the sign says Rapid River. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, huh, that's a funny name for a lazy river. So we go on it, and the lady was like, whoa, 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 whoa. She pulls us over and takes the kid out, and she's like, this life vest does not fit on this kid. You need to take that life vest off. Took it off. I was like, all right. She's like, all right, get in. Have a good day. I was like, what Wait, the took heck? it off? Yeah, I'm like in a foreign country, right? This is one of those foreign country moments. Okay. And they were they don't follow the rules <laughs> quite <laughs> as strictly. So I got this kid, and I'm in a double inner tube. I'm sitting in the back with my legs up, so for visuals, I look like I'm about to have a baby on this table, right? <laughs> I, my legs are up in this raft, and they're like, here, put your legs together and put the kid on the front hole <laughs> in between your legs. Well, Caleb, 19-month-old Caleb, is literally holding on to the little handles in the front in my legs going like this. Hey, he's like <laughs> looking around. He's super happy. Got a smile on his face. Which, by the way, like the cutest kid ever, so well yeah, done. super cute. I can only imagine. Yeah, look me up on Facebook. You'll see. Anyways, <laughs> so... He's going down this, and it's like super cool, right? Super lazy. And then all of a sudden, there's like this little like little wave, right? And Joanna's like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And, and there's like this little wave. And, and then we get to this point where it goes rapids. And there's literally a little channel that goes straight down into, I mean, well, the story's going to get exaggerated over the years. By the time he's 18, they're going to be 12 foot waves. <laughs> but literally, they're probably two to three foot rapids, like just like this. Well, and he's sitting alone in the front of this thing in between my legs holding on. I'm thinking, this kid's going to die. And <laughs> so we go down these rapids, just boom, we hit hard. And he's flopping all over the place. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. I think I could catch him. I think he'd probably be fine. Joanna comes out. Oh, we got to stop this. We got to stop. I'm like, you need to calm down. Get back in your raft. This is my son. He's fine. And he went through the whole thing, and he had a blast. He had so much fun. By the end, he's just laughing and uh Joanna was scared to death, but that's a mom's job to worry and be scared. Uh, it's my job to make sure that he almost dies. So <laughs> let that be a lesson to you, fathers. That's amazing. I can only imagine him laughing and you know being happy through the whole time. Oh, I wish I had video so bad. But they, I mean, I'm telling you, it was like he should not have been on that ride. He should not. There is no question. If this was America, he would not have been on that ride. <laughs> if this is America, CPS would have been called on you at the end of the ride. <laughs> and maybe Hopefully uh, CPS is not listening to this right now. <laughs> if so, my name is <laughs> What's your Phil Ortiz. <laughs> <laughs> my name is that Dan Dealing. <laughs> I'm the pre- principal of the yeah, high school. Um, so, also, okay, that's like having kids. Um, also wanted to ask you and Joanna have always been like planners, always kind of thought out the future and prepared. So kind of wanted to know, like when you were our age, what were some of the plans you had? And then also like for me and Corey, like being early twenties, like striving, planning for the future, like what would you recommend for us to do? And kind of like based off your like testimony, what would you do differently? Kind of, kind of thing. Well, I think Joanna is definitely more of a planner than I am. So I, I have learned from Joanna and adopted much of what she has done because I see how it works. It works very, very well. Uh, and so I am a big fan of planning. But with that being said, I'm not I would way rather go through life. Hey, what's going on over here? Great. I'm like it's like it, shiny object syndrome for sure. Well, my Enneagram personality is a seven, which, by the way, if you haven't done Enneagram, you definitely should. It's 
really, really helpful. We just talked about it, actually. I'm a three. Corey. I'm a one. One, one. okay. Yeah. So, and then you know, like, under stressful circumstances, how you tend to act, and you tend to, you know, kind of in a healthy state. Yeah. In an unhealthy state, you're probably a serial killer, but, yeah. you know, whatever. It's like, I, I highly recommend Enneagram, but the, se- the seven personality is very, I, I'm fascinated with new things, and I, I used to think that was a weakness, and uh, I think in the wrong context it can be, but... I think it's a strength. And so I, my personality type would be go wherever the fun's happening. Um, life doesn't work that way, right? That's not how real life works. So you have to learn how to find the fun in those things for my personality type. But um, so in terms of planning, I think um, you have to plan to put Jesus first. That is a, you have to plan that. that. That is you schedule time and you make that happen. You, you spend time in the Word of God. You spend time in prayer. If you plan nothing else in your entire life, plan that. Um, after that, you have to plan um, when you're going to spend time with your significant other, with your wife, or with your kids. That, that requires time on the calendar. Um, you have to plan um, your work day out. And if you're self-employed, I mean, you, you really... And you're kind of in it. You're not self-employed per se, but you're in a pretty, like flexible yeah. you make your own life up yeah. and you have to plan out what you do in order to meet the goals at the end of the day right so that's an important thing in terms of life planning get your finances in order uh, and i recommend doing this because <laughs> don't do what i did kids uh do not let your finances get out of control and then think that your spouse is going to fix it for you it probably won't happen that way and i can tell you right now that if you're in a significant amount of debt, you're both working, you have a kid, and you're wondering where rent's going to come from, or how you're going to buy groceries, or how you're going to buy diapers for your kid. That is a stress you do not want to know. And many, that is normal for many, many people. Many people listening to this might be thinking, good Lord, that's me. Um, and if you're not in that position, think about what you can do now to prevent that. You can avoid that in your life. It's possible, right? So um, get your finances in order. Uh, I really, really encourage that. Um, always, we're talking to Christians, so always tithe. And then, in my opinion, be generous. You do your 10%. That is a, like, bottom line, I give 10% to the church that I go to. And then be generous. Give another 5%. Shoot for the stars. Give, tw- give 10% more. I mean, just be generous. Be a generous person. Save. Live. Uh, I love that minimalism is, is a new thing. That's like not my style, like I'm an excessive person, but uh, I, I think that um, that is like the right mindset. It's like, how can I avoid giving into consumerism? That is a really good mm-hmm. mindset. Um, get your finances in order. Yeah. Um, so I, I highly recommend starting to save for retirement now. If you think you're going to do that when you're 40, you're, you may be putting yourself in a bad position. So if you can save right now when you're 20, you should start doing that. Yeah. Um, did, and, you know, did save. you, did you and Janet have like a, an idea of, you know, where you wanted to be in a couple of years or in 10 years oh, or yeah. in 20 years? And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and how did you, you know, how did you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, well, we looked down at, we, we, well, we've done it in a couple different ways, right? There's different, I mean, you can Google, how do I life plan? And you'll find a bajillion articles on different perspectives. I recommend doing that. Uh, and we've done that a couple of times and we'll say, okay. What, what are the, the callings in my life? What are my, what's in my heart? For both of us, we'll both say that and write that down. And then we kind of write out all the different activities that we're doing. And we ask, are we getting, are we, is this activity helping us get to that point? 
Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think we've done it. Did I expect to be working at LeBron's landscaping? Not in my wildest <laughs> dreams. So I think that a plan is really good and it gets you so far. But I think the best thing about having a plan is that when it doesn't go to plan, you know how to make a new plan pretty quickly. Um, I guess there's different personality types. My personality type tends to be very flexible. It's like, hey, this isn't how we expected it. Let's adjust. Let's just let's figure out how to readjust our plan. Um, but so yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge plan, huge planner. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I think yeah. we you know we've planned to when we want to have our kids, which doesn't always not everyone gets to do that. We have been able to so far, so praise God for that. We've planned our finances to save a certain amount each month in order to afford vacations and uh, you know retirement plans or or you know our, our goals are to buy houses so that's our that's our retirement plan we're saving in order to buy real estate so that's our plan right and we'll see how it goes i might be completely bankrupt in 10 years you never know you just don't know but you plan and then you you work the plan and then if you have to change you adapt you make changes yeah, yeah. if you get so stuck on your plan that it has to go that way i think you'll be a very sad yeah. miserable human being because life doesn't always go that way but if you are willing to be flexible with the way life works, I think planning is really, really good. It teaches you how to how to come up with alternatives and contingencies and things like that. Yeah, you had talked about um, a, a little bit uh, pre-show, um, just about the costs of discipleship and your admiration for, you know, some of the more admirable characters in in kind of um, you know in the Bible, in kind of Christian history of people like. Bonhoeffer, Nehemiah, um, you know, some of the other people that you like, could you just speak a little bit more to, you know, what it means, like, essentially, we didn't get like into it very much, but what does it mean to you, like the cost of discipleship and why you wanted to talk about it? Yeah, so Diedrich Bonhoeffer is probably one of my all time heroes, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, one, because I love politics, and uh, Phil talked a lot about it, so I'm not going to get into it. Um, which, by the way, Phil Ortiz is an incredible person. I have a great deal of respect for him. Shout out, <coughs> shout to out Phil. to Phil. Hashtag Phil Ortiz 2020. Um, so <laughs> I, I really love Phil. Uh, he's a he's a brother of mine, and and I think that um, he really understands the the importance of Christians being involved in our community. Period. Um, in the United States of America, we have an incredible opportunity to be involved in our government. Government is actually a reflection of us, right? It's a government of the people, by the people, for the people. That is unique in the world. Hmm. Um, Jesus did not have that kind of government. right? He lived under a dictatorship. That's, that's the environment that he lived in. Bonhoeffer also lived under a dictatorship. Uh, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer took a very strong stance against the Third Reich. And he was a uh, staunch he was staunchly opposed. That's a good word. He was just like, <laughs> like he was a wall, right? Yeah. And he would not move. And he had a radio show and he had all kinds of stuff that he spoke out against the Third Reich publicly, which was a big no-no. Um, but he, he, and he, from a Christian perspective, this is not right. What is happening in our culture is not right. It is not acceptable that we are massacring our own people, specifically Jews. This is not right. Um, and, and so, and I love that because I think, you know what? There's a lot about our culture that is not right. And Christians seem to be, in many cases, um, unwilling to take a stand in one way or another. And usually the stand is a Facebook post, 
or it's I'll vote for that guy, but I won't vote for that guy. And most of the time, it seems like it's just I'm not going to vote. I'm just staying out of it. I just gonna yeah, just backing off. And maybe that's yeah. because of you know the 1980s and 1990s Christian right movement, right? Which was like Christians are always against something, and mm. and maybe more modern Christians are kind of like, well, maybe we need to rethink how we're approaching this whole thing. Maybe that's kind of what's going on. I'm fine with that if we rethink it and then we actually live stuff out. That's fine with me. Yeah. Or maybe not like default to things and sort of put some more thought behind it and sure sure uh, well i mean the biggest thing is is abortion i i i cannot i cannot even imagine any argument in which abortion is somewhat even remotely acceptable right yeah. Kill, and now that i've had two kids and i've literally caught both of my children i i'm i'm sitting there going this is a human life right it doesn't matter what stage that's at the heartbeat starts at like 6 weeks or something it's like there's a human being in there this is not just a fetus so this is a strong stance against Abortion, but I'll tell you what, I don't think abortion would be an issue if Christians just adopted. Hmm. If there, if there was a, if there was lines outside saying, "Please let me adopt that child," please let me, please, 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 just let me adopt that child. If that was the the problem, was that we didn't have enough adoptions available in this country? If that was the problem, I kind of think abortion would probably just be a moot point. I think it would go away. Uh, it might still be an issue, but that kind of stands, that kind of goes to the point of what are we going to do? How are we going to live? Bonhoeffer lived out the faith. He absolutely, under the, the harshest conditions, lived out the faith. And I love that. I want to see more of that. I, I want to see more of that in me. I don't know that I do that nearly enough. And I, I feel like this, this like sense of, I want to live out the faith. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I don't have to be a pastor to do that. I, I can be normal old sales guy selling commercial landscaping, right? And I can love Jesus and be okay with that. And that's like, that is my life. That's what I'm called to do. That's who we are called to be. Um, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, um, he even, he has a book called Bonhoeffer. It's kind of fascinating, but he was even involved with a plot to assassinate Hitler. Did you know this? No. So hardcore Christian, right? I mean, this guy loved Jesus. And he was in a, in a plot to try and assassinate Hitler wow. um, to end the war. And uh, it failed. Didn't, didn't work out. But, um, but that, I mean, that's the kind of links that this man was willing to go to against injustice. And we could have all kinds of ethical conversations about whether it's right to assassinate one person, right? But, I mean, that's like the, the links that he was willing to go in order to stop evil in the world. And he called it what it was. It was evil. Hmm. And uh, when no one else would. No other Christians would. No other denominations were doing it. He was the only one, and he probably had a small group. But it was it was really a it's really a neat piece of history listening to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his his writings. But he yeah. wrote a whole book called The Cost of Discipleship, which is um, kind of outside of that that little history. But he um, he wrote a, a piece in there. Mike Van Meter talks a lot about it. In fact, he's the one who turned me on to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But he talked about cheap grace versus costly grace. And he talked back then, right? This is, I don't know how many years ago. I can't do math. 80 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever it was. He talked about, not 100 years, but about 80 years ago. He talked about how the, the church has watered down faith and made it easy for people to come to faith. And he's like, but it's not an easy faith. It's a costly faith. Mm. It will cost you everything you have to follow Jesus Christ. Everything. And, and, that, and that is like not a message that preaches well. Right, people don't want to hear that. They want to hear how are you going to fix my life? How are you going to make things better for me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very much 
about the, the reality of what Jesus' Jesus's life and what it's going to cost you to follow him. Uh, so I just, I'm a big fan of him. But there's a lot of people that have similar stories. Uh, Bonhoeffer is just kind of more of a modern, modern day, I mean, not really modern, but, you know, last century kind of a person that you can look yeah. to. Yeah, I, I feel like I remember, uh, I, I don't know what it was, what the context was, but I remember the moment that I sort of realized, like, when someone said, maybe it was even Mike, when someone says, uh, you know, that your faith should cost you something and that you should be sacrificing something in your life. I was like, oh, that's like, you know, because like I said, it, it can be very easy for contemporary kind of gospel to just be all about you and what you gain and how much better your life is going to be and how you're going to feel and the things that are all going to be fixed in your life. And uh, And while those things are true, they might be, a very siloed kind of narrow view of the truth and reality of the whole sure. of, of all of it. Um, and I think that, I mean, it's a, it's a really sobering thought. Like does my faith cost me anything right now? Yeah. And, and I think that's a good, uh, that is a good commentary on the United States of America, the yeah. church in the U S yeah. I just think about it for a second. What part of our faith costs us anything? And if it does, you get to choose what it is. I'm going to choose to give up three hours of my time to go do a youth venture shift. I'm going to choose to, right? And in Bonhoeffer's, in his life, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a choice for him to take the stance that he did, but it was life circumstances. The Third Reich. I mean, Hitler, yeah. Nazis, right? That I mean, crazy. These, this is like a whole movement that was against him and uh, and his position. But I think we're seeing more and more of that. I think, you know, in, in our culture, we're going to have <clears throat> more and more Christians are going to have to decide, am I going to actually follow Jesus? Am I really going to follow him? Because it's really not popular right now. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, so it is what it is. It's, are you going to follow Jesus or not? Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's good too, right? In a yeah. sense, because... I think so. Um, you know, I, I think about a lot of times, and this is also an idea that, uh, that Mike sort of turned me on to and, and introduced in, uh, in Mike six 6'8", when I was going through the discipleship program at Foothills, which is sort of like a after high school discipleship program. Um, and he was talking about how there's so many different, like the place that we are right now in time and in history and the places that we live and just being in the United States, like think about the context of you as a Christian here now and think about how different it's going to be here in a hundred years and 200 years and a thousand years, how different it was a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, a thousand years ago. And then, you know, think about all the seasons and kind of the fluctuations and, and how he explained it, how um, it, it's sort of like a tide rolling in and out but over time, the, t- the tide keeps coming in uh, yeah. farther and farther and farther until, you know, God's grace and his kingdom just overcomes the world and, and he comes back to establish his kingdom. And and, uh, and I love that. That That is the an overwhelming victory of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think that there's a, the, the tide is rising for the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean the tide is rising for America. It doesn't yeah. mean the tide is rising for any particular people group. Is what Jesus is doing in the world. That's what matters. Yeah. And, and also, like, you think about right now, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, is America a Christian nation anymore? And, and uh, you know, there's all sorts of questions, you know, like you said, where it's going to get harder for someone to 
Uh, maybe they need to reassess like, well, am I really going to be a Christian or yeah. is this going to cost me something? Um, and that's great because, you know, maybe in the last 20 years or 30 years or 50, I don't know, uh, however long the time period is, maybe there it's been too easy. And maybe there are too many sort of um, surface level Christians, quote unquote, that maybe need to be challenged. Yeah. And this is God's will. This is his will for us as a nation and as a people that we would be challenged and to grow in our faith and go for the next, you know, kind of the next uh, tide up and the next kind of swell um, for his kingdom. Yeah. Um, a guy named St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God, and uh, it was right during the fall of the Roman Empire, and it was massively shaking for everybody, right? The Roman Empire ruled the world, literally. Uh, there was no civilization beside the Roman Empire. And, uh, I mean, that's a little bit ethnocentric and some of my sociology friends will probably be mad at me, but that's basic. I mean, they, they, they were the dominant superpower of the world yeah. uh, and they were crumbling, right? And they're falling. And, and some of St. Augustine's parishioners were coming to him saying, Hey, uh, the world's falling apart. What are we supposed to do? And he's, he basically was talking about the kingdom of God. We don't live primarily in a country that is not our security. Right, the, the the security is we live in a in the city of God. It's it's the building not made with human hands, right? And that that is the Christian perspective on the world is that I love my country, and I want to impact my community and my my country as much as I can. Uh, and in fact, we're call, we're, we're we're responsible for it. Um, in fact, I challenge you to think like this, and it may it may not happen for you until you have children. Um, but the only thing that matters is what my kids are going to live with. And really what my, my great my, my grandkids are going to live with, right? That's what matters. What I have to deal with is, is pretty minimally important. But mm-hmm. what my kids are going to have to deal with, that's on me. That is my responsibility. And I have a say in how life goes for my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my great-great-grandkids. That is, that is I have a vision for that, right? It, it used to be called posterity. And that's something that, that people used to talk about a lot. That we don't talk about very much anymore because it's all about me and what I can get from me. But um, I encourage you to think about that. What, what is life going to look like for your, your kids? Yeah. Right? And for that next generation that's coming after you, that's really what matters. So, um, and, and that you take that in whichever way you want to. Your faith, um, Christianity, um, how we've impacted the world, um, our politics and the way that our country is run and how, you know, I mean... That, that, that stuff's all on me. It's all on us. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's not their responsibility. It's not somebody else's problem. It's my problem. If my neighborhood doesn't know Jesus, that's not Foothill's problem or the, the church down the road's problem, right? That's my problem. Personally, I have a personal responsibility for what is happening in my environment. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, you want to start moving into maybe some of the wrap-up questions? Yeah, and, I had a, and well, Corey put down a good question I wanted to ask. Um, he said, and it's kind of along the lines of planning, but he said, what is something that you have changed your mind about recently in the past few months or the past few years? Changed my mind about. That's a good reason why I, that a good question. Yeah, the reason why I ask is um, I feel like growing up and as a young adult, like there are a lot of things that, I've been wrong about and we're all wrong about. Um, but also like just other things that I've realized, you know, that you, you think like, uh, I used to be very staunch about this and now I'm kind of lax or maybe I used to be really lax about this. Now I'm really staunch or maybe it's, I don't know, just something, uh, that you've learned. And now that you have a really strong stance on, 
um, I feel like I'm centering it around like stances on something, but in general, just, is there something or what is it that you changed your mind about recently? Mm -hmm. I don't change my mind very often. I thought you are <laughs> flexible. No, I, 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 it's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I think, okay, I, I got an idea. So as a pastor, uh, and now I'm not a pastor, right, in, in role, in position, um, I think that I had accidentally developed this idea that I'm doing the real work of God, right? Everybody else is like, not. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> or not it's as a much. terrible thing to say out loud. It's an absolutely terrible thing to say out loud. But I, I think that I accidentally picked up that idea, right? And that somehow the work that I'm doing is more important or more valuable. And um, and then I'm not a pastor, right? And I'm working at LeBond's Landscaping as a employee. And so then I'm starting to fa- face this like I'm not doing important work feeling right and which is a lie it's just an absolute lie i'll just call that what it is well then i read this book called gospel patrons radically changed my mindset so that's i I would say that's a big one that, that i changed my mind on was this idea that the working person right we'll call them the funders right the ones that are funding ministry they're they're funding the church or funding pastors or funding ministries or whatever, the, the working people are equally important in advancing the gospel as that person that's preaching the gospel, right? Equally as important, not like kind of as important or so for me to read that was like mind blowing. And I didn't even realize you might be thinking it's crazy. You ever thought that way, but to really understand the role and the value of that person that's that can give from their resources in order to fund the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ as equally as important. And um, great example is Paul. You know, he partnered with um, Aquila and Priscilla, right? When he came into wherever Ephesus, I think it was, and and he he meets up with them. It was interesting because I think it was Aquila who actually had to instruct Paul. It's like this one line, right? Paul was unaware about X thing. Aquila had to fill him in on what Jesus had done or what what this thing was. And from there exploded this ministry. And um, these guys were, Paul lived with them. These guys basically took care of him and helped him get to where he needed to go. And um, that was just mind-blowing to me. It was like, Paul's the, he's the guy, man. He's the one that's doing all the work. But there's these people that he meets up with who give him a place to stay who give him a platform, who invite people over, who who help create this environment where Paul is able to thrive. And I think that that is a um, just a critical part of 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 faith is that man, I have the privilege of funding youth venture. I have the privilege of helping fund missions work all over the world. I have the privilege of helping um, you know, uh, whatever people to do what they do, right? I get to pay tithes to my church and I get to watch what the gospel's doing in our church and participate in that it's it's really really neat so that's been a pretty big mind shift i guess for me is you know that those people who donate are equally as important as the ones who are actually proclaiming the gospel the mouthpieces yeah 
No, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, I'll drop you with one last bomb. Uh, if you can go back to 18-year-old Nathan and sit down and have a heart-to-heart, what would you tell him? What advice would you give him? Uh, you know, If you could basically just give your little spiel, what would you say? Stop being an idiot. There you go. That's it. That's all you got for him. No, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say, um, you're probably not going to listen to me, but if you will, I encourage you to not go into debt ever. I encourage you to, um, get serious about listening to spiritual fathers in your life. Now, don't wait, submit your heart to people that are older and wiser than you. Um, what else would I say? I'd probably say your worth is not in what you do. Your worth is in Jesus, and he, he gave that to you as a gift. So you don't have to work so hard to get God's love or favor or whatever. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, you mentioned a few already. Oh, uh, wait, one more thing. Okay, go ahead. Stop lying, stupid. <laughs> okay, and never lie to your wife. Um, you mentioned a couple, uh, Bonhoeffer, The Scene of God, uh, was it Patrons of God, right? Is another book. Gospel Patrons. Gospel Patrons. A great book. Any other books that you love or would recommend that you would gift to someone else? The Insanity of God. That is a uh, paradigm-shifting book. I recommend The Insanity of God. Um, gosh, I probably have dozens more, but I, I can't think of them all. I should have come prepared. You know, I could email you or like put a comment on your website somewhere. Here's some more books I recommend. <laughs> but I got a whole library of them that I, I really like. I think, you know, if you're... Young man, I, I think Wild at Heart is a great book. I think that's a good... Yes, that's a must. I'm a... Oh, yeah, that's a big foundation for, for yeah, this yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, that Wild at Heart is a fantastic book for, for men. Um, you know, I, I think if you can read biographies or autobiographies, you should. I think you can learn... Dave Hoffman has actually said this before. He had some of his best mentors were found in books, right? People he w- couldn't actually yeah. sit down with directly, but they wrote a book, so read the book. Um, I think that's if you can read autobiographies uh, or biographies, anything by Eric Metaxas, read his stuff. Eric Metaxas is incredible. Hmm. Um, he's written um, all kinds of biographies that are just really, really good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and you can you can find all these books. We're going to have them on our favorites page. So cultivateandkeep.com slash favorites. We'll get those on there. Um, so thanks for the suggestions. Uh, who do you look up to personally? This could be like, you know, close people, also people you admire from afar, authors. Who do you, who do you look up to? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I was actually reflecting recently. I uh, feel like I've had a lot of men in my life who have poured into my life, and I'm really, really grateful for that. I think I've had a lot of spiritual fathers. And um, so, I mean, I look up to Mark Hoffman. He's he's probably my, my primary guy. Um, I look up to um, a guy like Bill Wilson. I really, I, you know, I grew up listening to him and I just feel like his, what he's done and what he, how he chooses to live his life is, uh, is really, really inspiring. Um, from afar, I'm trying to think of the podcast I listen to and some of those guys, I listen to a couple people. Um, give me a sec. You know, I, 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 I really look up to your dad, Mike. I think that, um, he has a lot of great wisdom and a lot of great I think he has a lot of good impact. I, I, or good input. I mean, I, I think that especially considering the life that he came from, 
especially considering his childhood and the way that his father treated him, the kind of father that he's been uh, versus what he experienced personally, I think is pretty mind-blowing when you think about it that way. Um, so I, I look up to him. I love that your dad has given away a ton of money, and I, I hope that I get to be as generous or more than, than he was. I, I just I love that kind of – so I, I look up to people that are generous. I look up to people that take stands and are willing to be uh, upfront about things and, and uh, real about things. So Mark Hoffman's probably my number one uh, mentor or person I look up to in my life. My grandfather was a huge influence in my life. Um, he died sadly <laughs> he lived a good life he, he's in heaven but i really really looked up to him i think that he really impacted my life um so it was just a few of the people yeah that's great probably have a whole list like i said i'm gonna send an email i should have said this i should have said this but <laughs> cool. it's what it is we'll include it okay perfect maybe maybe not <laughs> we'll see um depends on if it's good or not <laughs> it'll be good i hope um what do you look forward to in the future Oh, man, I look forward to a lot of things. I, I uh, think that I'm a forward-thinking person. I have a really hard time being in the present, actually, so I'm always thinking about what's going to happen. Um, looking forward to getting a new house. I hope that one day we get a new house. I'm looking forward to uh, growing an impact in my local and state government. Um, big picture stuff, I look forward to seeing revival in the state of California. Hmm. I want to see. I want to see just a massive outbreak of people following Jesus. And I don't mean like flocking to church necessarily, even though I would love that. I think that should happen. But I mean, people just getting on fire for Christ. And um, I, I really pray for revival and I, I'm hopeful for that. Um, so I look forward to the day when that happens. Um, I look forward to growing old with my wife. She hates it when I say that, but I, I really am looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to our kids growing up and, and watching them live their life and uh, God, I hope we do a good job. It's like a major prayer, like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> but I want my kids to grow up and, and be successful and, and do well. And, and uh, you know, I look forward to grandkids. I look forward to all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, that's a that's an easy one for me. Oh. Being a millionaire, winning the lottery, there I look forward to... Just kidding. <laughs> um, if you could say one thing to the next generation of Christian men, what would it be? Only one. It's not about you. I like hearing that. It's not about you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I could follow that up with you're not that unique. <laughs> Stop thinking that you're special. Be, do something. Like, l live a good life. <laughs> but you're not that special. <laughs> you, are, you are a normal person. The only unique characteristic about you is that Jesus has bought you. That's it. Everything else, nothing new under the sun, nothing special. Um, so do something. Do something special. Do something unique, right? You're not special just because of who you are. It's just like you're just a, you are a person made in Christ's image. That's, that is what makes you special, I guess, to God. But... In, in general, you're not that special. You're not that unique. You're just a person. But do something. Do something unique. Do something special. Create something. Do something. Yeah. No, I love it. I think that's a good contrast to a lot of what we hear today. And there's a you know a fun dichotomy of you know God intimately crafts us and creates us and has plans for us and uh, created each of us 
unique, but also like, you know, don't think too much of yourself. And also like we all have, we're all in a sense, a, a cog in God's kingdom and accomplishing his will. And there's nothing, like you said, super, uh, like, don't think too much of yourself. Yeah. Essentially you're, is what it you're is. made unique. There's yeah. no one, no two people alike. Yeah. There's no question about that, but that doesn't, that, that just means that you're the only you, right? I mean, do something with it. Do something with your life. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that is, what that looks like. Just do something. You want to be special. You want to be called out. You need to do something with that. It's not just because of who you are, mm-hmm. right? That's, I think, it, I think the only thing that is, is that you're special to God who created you. He looks at you and says, you're mine. You're my son. And it, that makes you something to him. But you're just a person. So do something. <laughs> do something with it. I mean, be somebody, right? I mean, in fact, that uniqueness speaks to the uniqueness of your opportunity to do something, to create something, to, you know, to change something. I mean, what is it? I mean, otherwise we just live and die. I mean, mm. think about it. what's your What's your grandpa's name, Jeremy? Don't know. What's your great grandpa's name? Don't know. I, I mean, I remember my I remember my mm. great grandpa Breck. Sadly, I do not remember his wife's name. I'm really disappointed in myself by that. But I didn't know them, and that's that's two generations ago. Mm. Two generations. Think about that. I know. Yeah. No one is going to remember your name in two generations. <laughs> <That's> super weird, <laughs> right? Uh, your 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 kids are barely going to remember. Or your kids will. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Hopefully, I hope my kids remember <laughs> me. But your great grandkids are n- probably not going to remember your name. Mm. And so, what are we doing right now that is going to create an impact and create a mm. right? I mean, it's like Winston Churchill. Why do you know that name? For one reason and one reason only, he defeated Hitler. It's the one reason. It's like the biggest, I mean, that's like top of his game. Yeah. And I guarantee you in 100 years, eh, we may or may not remember him. Yeah. He may not be important. That's I don't know. a weird thought. Yeah. I mean, really, he, he may or may not be remembered in 100 years mm. from now. I don't know. Mm. But that is that is the frailty of life. That's the futility of this life. Yeah. And uh, Francis Chan and uh, Mike Van Meter reminded of us, we, we live on this one inch period of time on this never-ending infinite rope right and we think this is what matters forget it. we don't think about the un- unlimited never-ending rope yeah. that is eternity right live for eternity don't live for right now you'd, you'd be surprised at, at the kind of impact you can have perfect well nathan it's been a pleasure thank you for taking a night out of your week yep. to spend with us instead of your wife and children um, or working on other things that i'm sure that you have other things to work on um, it's nope. been a pleasure. I don't have anywhere to be. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Didn't your wife say as soon as possible? Yeah, she's already <laughs> sent me a text saying, ETA, when are you coming home? <laughs> I'll say as soon as I can, sweetheart. Jer- Jeremy really needs this right now. This is there really for go. Jeremy. Yes. I'm really encouraging Jeremy and helping Good him. Strategy. Right now. Yeah. Yes. Good. Well done. No, I really appreciate it, guys. I really am honored. And if this is completely terrible and you hate it, please don't oh, use it. I promise you. About? Do not use this if it's trash. Well, we need the episodes, so. <laughs> yeah, you need the episodes. <laughs> well, I mean, when you By get default, to, you made the cut. Yeah, well, I just, mean, just, you, just, I'll, just, I'll get down to the bottom once you get LT, yes. right? And you get uh, Tim Tebow. They're coming. This is the peak of your fame on Cultivate and, and Keep. Just <laughs> Hey, that's fine with me. Just I want to get hashtag next to Tim Tebow. Yes. That's right. There we go. We'll throw him in there. Yeah. I don't even know. Who's Tim Tebow? He's a Christian football player, right? Yeah. Are you serious? You don't know who Tim Tebow is? I, he like Christian football player. That's all I know. Yeah. Well, he's a guy that like previous praise and yeah. Yeah, he everyone knows. hated him for it for some yeah, reason. Yeah. 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 God, it costed God, him. God, God forbid NFL you're career. Yeah. God forbid you're ever a Christian. <laughs>
It is. It's a different life. I tell you what, man. I know we're wrapping things up, but it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, quickly, the positions of a Christian are not popular, <laughs> and there's a real decision that has to be made. Am I going to live for Jesus, or am I not? And that doesn't mean you're always speaking up. And I've had to learn how to bite my tongue. Right. More often than not, I shouldn't say anything. I need to live differently. That's really what needs to happen. Mm. But it is not popular to have certain positions on things uh, like abortion and other hot topic issues no one wants to talk about. Yeah, no, it's very true. I like debate, by the way. So if you ever want to have a public debate, Oof. that might be kind of a fun podcast if you have like super crazy right person over here and then you have like super crazy <laughs> left person over there and then we have a discussion about That'd be something. Fun. That is yeah. a really fun idea. Yeah, yeah. That could be. That could be. We'll have um Spencer, Spencer George on here. I was soon. just gonna say Spencer, Spencer you want to debate Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I would really, really enjoy that. I would enjoy that. Yeah. He's well, uh in here right now. I'm just hi Spencer. Watching. <laughs> he just he just gave claim to fame. <laughs> he just gave a symbol with his fingers. I don't know if you want to know what it was. <laughs> it was a peace sign. Okay. <laughs> well, Nathan, if you have anyone that you would like to debate, tell them that this is the place to do it. We. We invite you and your friend or enemy, whoever they are to you. Back <laughs> I don't, I don't to have debate. enemies. I just people. I have people who don't I agree know, with me kidding. yet. <laughs> um, we would welcome that to the podcast. Well, I'm trying to think. This would be a podcast for young men trying to be like Christian men, right? So yes, be, I'll have to think through that. Who okay. we who we want to have on here to? I don't know. All <laughs> men should be women. Okay, let's have a discussion about that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. Well, Nathan, once again, thank you. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. It's been great. Yep. Cool. Well, until the next one, peace. Peace and love.